Spy Cops Info Podcast, looking at Britain's secret undercover political police that infiltrated campaign and activist groups. Episode 2, Andy Coles and the Tradecraft Manual. Spy Cops Info Podcast. Today we're talking about Andy Coles and the Tradecraft Manual. I'm Tom Fowler. I'm joined with Chris Bryan and the Cover Research Group. And Jessica from, well, Police Spies Out of Lives, but I was also uh, in a relationship with Andy Coles back in 1992 93. Coles went by the pseudonym Andy Davey when he was deployed in 1991. Uh, originally infiltrating active resistance against the roots of war, um, better known as Arrow. But he didn't stay there long and was soon infiltrating the animal rights scene. Unlike the left, the animal rights scene doesn't have the same sort of structures, so he couldn't get himself elected into a position within a party or anything. Uh, so he had to find other ways to, ing- to get himself into uh, the organisation. He did this a number of ways, most notably by owning a van. He gained the nickname Andy Van, in fact. And this is this is a pattern we see quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah, from we're not sure exactly when they when it first starts the use of the van. Um, as we discussed in episode one, um, it certainly wasn't in the very early days between '68 and, and '71. It certainly happened after that. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was definitely prevalent um, in you know from the '90s onwards. That's for sure. And it's these kind of tricks like owning and driving a van that um, Andy Coles writes or is, is identified as the author of uh, by the inquiry in this document they released a couple of years ago, the Special Demonstration Squad Tradecraft Manual. Uh, this was the only thing that the uh, inquiry released uh, for about two years, but it's a heavily redacted document. It is. It's heavily redacted. Some sections are completely redacted, even uh, the chapter titles. It is, but there's, there's, there is plenty in it. Okay, yeah. So um, it, it has. A, it's quite a long document. In fact, it's 140 pages, including appendices. Mm. Um, and it, it has an introduction, introduction, which is probably yeah, it's a good good idea to. I think it's a good to, to put it into context. You know what it was for. So it says here the manual of tradecraft is designed both for new members of the squad and a guide to best practice for members of the squad during their posting. Now, if you remember that phrase, because when we go through other bits of it, I think that, that's key. There is supposed to be a guide for best practice. Right. So, I mean, this is an official document. This is, um, you know, something which, like you say, we think is the second edition. Um, so it, it's liable that any, certainly after 1995, any special demonstration of squad officer would have read this document and ref, be referring to it for their deployment. Yeah, I think my main point, my main thing with it is, is that new officers would be in, inducted by reading this. Yeah. Um, and as we, we see, they'll also be inducted not in not so not only in the trade craft craft method, so to speak, but also in the attitude of the officers. Right. So that they would. They would know what to expect and how to behave almost as well. So it's a sort of reflection of the culture. One of the most controversial bits of the way in which the spy cops operated was around the way in which they, the names they chose. Um, and like this particular section of the Tradecraft Manual has got a particularly gross 
language within it. Yes, yeah, and it's um, it was written by um, I don't like to say my ex, but the um, yeah Andy Coles, who I had the relationship with when he was undercover, and it's yeah I think it's just it's quite appalling. It just shows that you know his the entire lack of respect that they had for the families of these dead children. And I think one of the, you know, just when you read it, you can just hear the sort of the um, the disdain that they had with his his words like um, finding a suitable ex-person, usually a deceased child or young person with a fairly anonymous name and said if the death was natural or otherwise unspectacular, um, then that would be the identity that they would use. Um, if and they had to to try and establish the respiratory status of the dead person's family and if they were still breathing where they were living so in case sort of the um activists found out where the family was and went to check up to see if they were who they said they were um but yeah i think it's it's appalling and as um and another nice touch is the assuming squatters rights over the um over the unfortunate's identity for the next four years, I think is just I mean, it, appalling. Yeah, I mean, it, it reads as if he's trying to be funny. It's as though it's his comedy moment and, you know, it's to make it as amusing as possible. Funny. If that sort of, I don't know, is that supposed to make it more palatable or more acceptable for them to actually do? Um, I mean, I have to say, as, you know, as, as being a family member of, um, you know, of a dead child... I find it particularly disgusting. Just think, you know, to if you know that's how he considered my family, then you know, the the family of a, a dead child. It's you know, it's quite, it's just horrific. It, it's it's another part of the dehumanising nature of a lot of the language within the tradecraft manual, isn't it? Yes, yeah. This sort of where you know the the others sort of the you know it's it's them certainly them and us. And um, yeah, they don't they don't care. And I mean, particularly he's there's certain things in this that actually, you know, really sort of are, are very personal to me. And one of the other things that he says when he's explaining how to find a um, an identity that won't be be able to be traced, he says um, like to use using birth details of an adopted person who had died as a child. Well, you know, the my brother was an adopted person who died as a child. I was adopted. And it's, you know, we know that he used that as as his cover, was that he, he said to other people that he was adopted. And, you know, as though that would have been a really good way for he and I to be together. You know, that's one thing we had in common. But the thing is, I never told anybody when I that I was adopted because I'd had sort of various issues surrounding it so I was I was absolutely ashamed of it and I never told anybody so again it begs the question how he actually knew um and also you know now I'm sort of I wonder whether you know he used the identity of my of my brother you know it's just it doesn't stop this whole this whole saga doesn't stop being sort of particularly painful to to deal with all the things that have to you know you have to sort of think about is like did they actually do this and reading the tradecraft manual you think there's no limit really to what they would do 
you know, never thought they would be they would be found out. So there's no there's just no depths that they won't sink to. The context of, of this manual. So this is what a new recruit to the SDS would be reading. And it's like a, it's not just an induction in terms of techniques, in terms of um, how to inveigle their way into groups. But it's also like a, a an induction into not mm. caring about the people that they're infiltrating, mm. that they can can spy on them and do whatever else too without without worrying because they're described that they made to seem less than human. Yes, yeah. So there's one, there's a, another particular part in it. I'm not sure the exact wording, but it's where it says about, you know, you don't, when you're trying to infiltrate these groups, you know, don't use like sexist language or racist or, you know, sort of like speciesist it's like basically you know try and be a you know decent human and and not say these awful things because it won't go down very well with the group that you're infiltrating not the fact that it's completely hideous hideous way to behave anyway but it's made specific sort of to to the groups it's like you know you don't sort of people won't like it if you're you know if you're racist you know unless obviously you you know join the bmp which goes speaks to speaks to speaks volumes that they actually have to tell the the new recruits not to to behave in that way yes yeah or the fact that you know don't behave as you normally would you know as a as a police officer you know is that what they're trying to say yeah there's something about this tradecraft manual which speaks to the wider culture in policing generally not just the spy cops but like but like cops in general, the poor attempts at humour throughout. I mean, particularly when we come to the section talking about the different groups. Yes. Uh, yeah. And particular things like, um, you know, food, they eat food that you wouldn't put in your bin. Um, you know, whether that's that's sort of with reference to um, they used to the, the group that he um, infiltrated around sort of the Brixton do like dumpster diving behind one of the supermarkets and used to get sort of like old like produce that had been thrown away but that was perfectly fine the one two one center was it yeah that's right yeah and so they used to they used to provide food um at this at this center and you know I mean although we never lived we weren't living in a squat um at the time when I was with him um but you know, it's I can't help but think like he's getting sort of digs in about our sort of house. Although, you know, I certainly don't remember like the, you know, the dirty mugs that he talks about. Um, and yeah, I just I just think it's any it's any way that he can sort of make us, you know, less than less than decent people. They'll they'll try the mouldy cups that people drank out of now. Um, I'm pretty sure that didn't happen. And if you think about what he's saying, that, pe- that people, you know, when a human being sees a mouldy cup or a mouldy plate, it's like revolting to them. So he's basically saying that the people who were living in this place were less than human again. It's like this whole thing that these people aren't normal. You don't have to worry about their feelings or, or whatever. And it's, you know, we we didn't have much. You know, there was there was times when we, we lived they're sort of you know spending all the money that we had that particular week on buying sort of food for for the cats and dog so we didn't have you know whatever was left after they were okay is that's what we had so there was there was weeks that we lived on um you know sort of baked beans and toast and but the thing is you know we would have always shared that was the thing is we you know people we had nothing but we shared it 
And it's just, you know, to hear it, it portrayed in that sort of way, it's just, it's quite awful. You know, because I think that's the one thing about sort of, you know, I remember particularly about that time is that, you know, we we cared about each other. You know, we looked after each other and that was why we were sort of, you know, if someone was had the same sort of politics as you did, you know, cared about the same things, you know, you were there for them. And it's just it's just a whole a whole nother thing to see it sort of, you know, it it put down in, in terms the way that he's whether he's used it. And yeah, just to carry on on that theme a little bit, there's the whole thing about being dirty and unkempt, and I think one of the phrases is being smells especially revolting in the summer months. Um, that sort of theme about you know, it's it's very much like a, in so, on, on one level, it's very much school a schoolboy humour. On the other, it has sort of a more sinister edge. And if you, I mean, it seems you know, it's it's it makes you wonder sort of now. Obviously, he's a, um, a conservative councillor, you know. Is this his? Is this his opinion towards homeless people? Because essentially, you know, lots of these people living in Swats, they were homeless. You know, it's you just think that's that's the way that he speaks about them. You know, so anything he says now, we're talking about the homeless and that. You know, just sort of it just rings a little bit hollow when you think, you know, yeah, I'm sure he wouldn't he wouldn't want to speak to them because they smell might smell bad in the summer. It's you know, uh, just oof. Awful. Uh, yeah, the other ring. The, uh, but it's the only way, I guess, that they could behave the way they did. You, uh, if they, it's only by by dehumanising the opposition, um, as they called us, that they were able to behave in that kind of manner. I guess. I I don't actually. I don't think so. I think that the majority of them must have been sort of sociopaths. You know, I think it takes a particular kind of person to do the things that they did, and without. You know, because I mean, the justification just wasn't there. You know, all this about sort of, you know, they're extremists and everything, you know, from the majority of the evidence we've had from the, you know, the undercovers themselves giving evidence and from their statements from the inquiry, you know, they they weren't seen, the groups they're infiltrating weren't seen as, you know, as a threat in any way, shape or form, you know, the majority of them. So it's, you know, and they've said that they were actually decent, you know, decent people and you know some of them were even teachers and doctors you know with the way that he says it, it comes across across quite differently from the way that other people in his words I think he's got to you know I think he has to just put put everybody down yeah I mean this is very much an internal document and was never meant to be seen by anybody outside the special demonstration squad and, and I, I guess it's very much like a, a way of sort of supposedly building up sort of a kind of group think mentality um, of the way they operated in the first from the first phase of the hearings of the inquiry there was a, a memo released which is basically a home office directive forbidding the participation in of undercover officers or informants in crime um, uh, there's a similar memo um, in the appendix one of the appendices of the SDS manual in appendix E um, which states simply, you cannot take part in crime. At no time can you instigate, counsel or procure others to commit a crime. So, But then the, the very next paragraph, it says, on the other hand, the above sentiments are laudable, but the boundary between right and wrong in the SDS arena is never clear cut as, as the provisions of, of this memo would have us believe. Um, so basically it says you can ignore that. And, uh, and I think... 
um, before we go into about participation in crime, I think you could, you could say that about the whole way they operated. The, there's all these rules, but you can just ignore them. Yes, yeah, they seem to, um, I mean, certainly that's, you know, as far as like the agent provocateur goes, you know, we know from, from so much of the of the evidence that, you know, that wasn't actually the case. And, you know, the same goes for, for Andy. You know, he was, he organised a raid um, on a chicken, like, battery farm. And, you know, so he drove everyone there. It wouldn't happened without him. And, you know, so it's how is that not sort of like organising or counselling, you know, the the commission um, of this? And, you know, we know sort of time and time again that it happens, you know, including sort of Bob Lambert and the um, and the fire bombs in the um, or incendiary devices in the, um, in, the sh- in the store. The chicken coop raids, was it... You say he planned it. Did he actually participate in, in it as well? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He drove the, he drove the vehicle. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, he drove everybody there. We, you know, went in, rescued the chickens and then he drove he drove us away. Um, you know, we were stopped by the police on the way back. And uh, and, you know, we thought it was pe- peculiar at the time that you know we were allowed to go. But, you know, now it begs the question of whether or not the local police knew about it. And, you know, we were obviously it must have been authorised. But, you know, yeah, it wouldn't have happened without him. So, you know, so much for the agent provocateur. Yeah, I mean, we, we wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for Andy. It wouldn't have happened and we wouldn't have been there. So I think that's sort of, you know, that's that's reasonably black and white. Yeah, one of the things when we've been uh, we've been saying repeatedly throughout the tradecraft manual is that most of it's about not getting caught. I mean, not getting caught seems to be more important than anything else they do. It's um, you know it's from the beginning to the end, it, it's all about not not revealing the fact that not just that they're not they're never an undercover, but that the, the units in, in general exist. That seems to be their sort of that they from the tradecraft manual. That's the number one concern. There's very little in there about like what information to gather or what their job is whilst they're deployed. You know, the actual trade part of the tradecraft doesn't seem to come into it too much. No, it just seems to be sort of like reading the um, from the the officers that have already given evidence in the inquiry. It seems anything and everything. It's you know how that how that would help I don't know and you can you can sense that they're trying to justify all the things that they're telling people so the ridiculous things like you know sort of um jumble sales and um cake sales and sort of things things like that you know it's it's I mean it must be embarrassing to you know to have to try and justify why you know you're why you're reporting the things that you do you know it's not they say it's it's just Mostly it's bo- seems to be boring meetings where, you know, people argue and like people walk out, you know, it's, it isn't really, it, yeah, I can't see the justification for a lot of it. Well, as we now know, not only they were reporting all these meetings, but every single report was copied to MI5, you know, um, protecting the realm apparently by, you know, monitoring campaigns for children's nurseries. Yes, yeah. Oh, and it makes it begs the question: What did you know? What did MI five think of it? I mean, did they used to laugh every time it came in? That you know, oh, uh, no, not a you know women's liberation front jumble sale. You know, we must. You know, we 
we must arm the troops. You know, it's... Yeah, put, yeah. put that in the priority tray, yeah. The first contact, um, which is how to get into a group. So there's basically one way which seemed to be quite um, the most popular way, which is what to get into a group via a big demonstration or a big action or something where you just turn up and then you get chatting to people. Um, we talked to that, about that a bit already. But then there, there was another way which had bears some similarity to the way they exited, which was if there wasn't the opportunity of joining a group via a big demonstration or a big action then it should be an event that happened in, in the undercover's life, a traumatic, um, a, a traumatic event perhaps, you know, a loss of a job or assault by a police officer or witnessing, I guess, in case of a, an animal rights um, infiltrator, uh, some, some cruelty to, to an animal. So you use that event in, in your life to say why you've just suddenly rocked up at an activist meeting or, or, or whatever. So they're using both, you know, the, tra- the the idea of trauma to a traumatic story, both to get into the deployment and also, as as we will talk about later, to get out. Yes, yeah, that's. I mean, that was a definite sort of tactic that they they used was to you know anything traumatic. It was basically anything to sort of to get people to, I think, to to empathise with them. I think basically because most of the the groups that they were joining were, you know, fundamentally decent people that really cared about things, cared about issues and, you know, whether it's animals or, you know, anything. It was, you know, that was the way, that was certainly a a way in, was appeal to their, you know, to their sort of their empathy. And so, yes, I mean, I can't, I don't actually remember sort of when, um, when Andy joined our group, um, you know, or what his sort of backstory was. I mean, as far as I can remember, there really wasn't very much of one. Um, but yeah, you know, that's, and that's particularly, it's particularly um, an awful, an awful way of, of infiltrating a group, you know, but the exit as using it as an exit strategy again, is just, you know, that's an awful lot of damage was done to people, you know, using that. Various officers used traumatic stories like, um, like Michael Jacobs claimed that he had been a, was a victim of domestic violence from a previous partner, which he'd escaped. Um, other people talked about deaths in their families. Um, you know, the spy cops dealt in trauma. I mean, they used trauma as part of their entry. They used trauma for their to, to leave. And whilst they're there, they you know, like you say, I, th- I think it's hugely based on the, the need to to get people to empathise with them, but also just the heightened state of traumatic times you know that's what influences us as humans right it's trauma but jason jason bishop for instance left saying that his partner had had a miscarriage um and similarly uh, john dines as well also um apparently so he said he began to display symptoms of a mental breakdown mm. so yeah pretty awful really and similarly you, you could say Similarly, with stealing a, a dead baby's, a dead child's identity, totally unnecessary. Even if it, even if you accepted that undercover policing in this area was necessary, which obviously we don't, you could say you could do it without doing either of those things. Um, you know. Yeah, I mean, also there was, um, for instance, like 
um, Carlo Neri or Saraci or Saraki, however his um, his real name is uh, is pronounced. Um, you know, yeah, he had sort of history of sort of you know various types of abuse, and he left after claiming sort of you know abuse in his family and and the death of a um, of a relative, and you know there was I mean this is one of the other things as well is we know that they used the backstory um, or the officers that were leaving the field went into um, into the back office and they were training up the new people that came out. So they were sort of, you know, advising them on what does and doesn't work. And so when Coles um, left, which was around 1995, the next officers that went in that he would have sort of, he would have schooled were um, Jim Boiling, who's, um, whose cover story was he was adopted and that was a um you know that was that was another thing sort of gleaned to get um you know to gain sympathy for people and also um Mark Cassidy whose backstory was that his father had been killed by a drink driver. Now both of those things, you know, I mentioned my brother earlier, he was killed by a drink driver and obviously myself and my brother were both adopted. And, you know, there is a, there is a big part of me that thinks that, you know, those those things he's used, you know, the worst, the worst, most painful aspects of my life to then give the other officers, you know, a sort of a reason to, you know, to worm their way into other people's other people's lives. You know, the whole thing is is just sickening. And it is, you know, it is using that, you know, the trauma. What the officer, both me and Tom knew, Marco Jacobs, his backstory includes details which uh, it might be just coincidence I don't know that are uh, very similar to my backstory that he, he he was from Northampton which I, I grew up there and he drank in the same pub as me and he also mentioned as part of his backstory that he he was remanded in prison when he was a teenager um, for getting into fights as I was also um, and obviously so I don't know and obviously I guess me and Marco would have been about, about the same time. Talk about when I say Marco, I mean the undercover persona, Marco Jacobs, mm. would have been about the same age when we turned up in the activist milieu. So I just wondered if we, if they did think about uh, who are these older activists that turn up into uh, these groups mm. who are mainly a bit younger in their twenties or whatever. Maybe let's look into the people, the real people, and, and still some of their details. I don't know. I mean, it's, it, as I say, it could be those three or four de- three details could be complete coincidence. So. But I mean, it just—it does seem obviously they did—they did maybe base their fiction on other people's facts. Yes, yeah, there were. I mean, I know sort of some of the, you know, some of the other cases as well of different different sorts of childhood abuse where the officer has turned up and has had, you know, exactly the same thing happen. So I think that's, you know, that does certainly seem to be a tactic. Is you know, is pick something that, you know, that either your um, either the target or one of the sort of people around the target that it will actually sort of, you know, resound, um, you know, they'll have an understanding of it. And, you know, that's your sort of, that's your in, I suppose. That's, you know, that's a cynical way of looking at it, which I'm sure is, you know, is what they, they had. I think I think the more that, that you think about these things and the more that you talk about these things, the worse it, it actually gets. You know, I didn't know that, Chris. And I think, you know, there's sort of, you know, I don't talk an awful lot. I try not to talk an awful lot about sort of my, you know, my own personal background. But, you know, I actually, you know, now it, it feels like it was used. So, you know, essentially I don't, 
you know, I have to talk about it because because I really feel that, you know, that was that was part of, of my sort of private life that I just don't have anymore. You know, it's like it's those things have been taken and used, you know, used for the worst of reasons. It's one of those ones about, um, you know, by using having so much trauma wrapped up in their deployment. It's like though they leave, like they leave enough things behind so that they that the influence of their deployment like outlasts the time they're actually in the field. It's kind of it, it feels I mean like maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it feels deliberate to me. It feels like that's kind of that's the idea. That's the that's the that's the point. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, you can't, you know, there's there's plenty of reasons why people leave different places. You know, they they could come up with any reason, but why is why it has to be the worst reasons, you know, and we know how much sort of psychological damage it's really done to the women, you know, sort of there's lots of the women, you know, spent spent years trying to find them you know they were worried there's where the the um, officers are uh, pleading that they've you know they're sort of they're suicidal and you know so you've got sort of like two like rosa and helen you know traveled traveled to the other side of the world trying to find you know their partners because they were worried they were genuinely worried about them and you know the thing is they've sort of most mostly you know they was they they made such sort of deep relationships with, you know, with people, particularly the women, that then when they did go, when they did just leave, you know, saying that they're sort of, you know, they can't cope anymore, you know, any decent person would, you know, would worry about that person. And it's, yeah, it's it's a needlessly cruel way of, of doing things. It really is. People lose touch for all kinds of reasons. Why they had to make it something so painful is just you know it's just an added cruelty i mean they, they could have just fallen out and like you know moved on and said they met somebody else and like you know had like a big disagreement and did something like embarrassing yeah, they could have been so much i mean it's it doesn't take much imagination to, to find ways you know to cut yourself off from people i think you know it's it was slightly different in andy's case because he didn't actually have any close friends i think there wasn't many people that actually went to his like his leaving do um and yeah i think had he just disappeared i don't know that anybody would have actually sort of looked for him you know but he's sort of he was his character was slightly different than sort of some of the of the others yeah there's, there's almost an element of melodrama to it it's like they had to go through this thing to make themselves feel that they were a really good undercover cop because they they've done such a great job of like infiltrating these groups, then they must have this elaborate leaving story, this sort of a sub story. Uh, as they, I mean, we can now sarcastically talk about it because we know they're all fake. Um, but yeah, and then yeah, you're briefly going back to the whole, whole whole idea that they had, they were sort of like in a position where they had to engage in romantic sexual relationships because otherwise it would have looked um, weird or strange and clearly. Um, that wasn't the case. You can you could be single and and celibate either voluntarily or, or, or otherwise in, in any in, in an activist group, and no one's going to raise any eyebrows. That the the idea that they had to do that to to make themselves look normal is absolute rubbish. Um, yeah, I mean that's certainly the case in in um, in Andy's case. You know he he was he was a bit different from some of the other undercovers in that he was, he actually had a reputation of being really creepy around the, uh, around women and also sort of very, um, 
predatory and you know I mean the way that sort of he and I he and I kind of got together and stuff it wasn't you know it was nothing it's not through anything that he said you know it was just it was a, a lunge and a kiss and basically where I mean I was only 19 and sort of very naive and um you know, one of the just these most awful, excruciating moments where, you know, I just I didn't know what to do and I didn't like him like that. And um yeah, it was it was just you know, I've had I can sort of I can like list on one hand the amount of times that something that awkward has happened to me. And, you know, it really was that awkward. And I say I hadn't had a boyfriend before and so I just I didn't know how to react and somehow it was almost less embarrassing to to end up in a relationship with him than it would be to to sort of to say like you know yuck get off um and yeah it was just it was a very sort of confusing like time you know and now sort of looking back I don't know how I just I don't really know how it happened I just think it was my age and and um and naivety and, and not knowing what to do. But, you know, certainly, I mean, he was, I wasn't the only person, you know, he had a reputation and in actual fact, um, I'm not going to be the only woman giving evidence about him at the inquiry. Uh, the, one of the other women, um, Joy, she had pretty much the same experience with him as I did, but she was older than me. And, you know, in the end, sort of you know she had an awful lot of trouble to get him to leave her flat but you know he had a habit of, of pop going around to people's houses at late sort of late in the evenings and that's you know that's exactly what he did to her and then made a move on her and literally she you know she had to sort of she had to forcefully throw him out because he wouldn't leave um you know but it's yeah that was you know it was almost as though he was desperately trying to you know not necessarily have a girlfriend but, you know, sort of desperately trying to, you know, to I suppose just have to sex with, with anybody. And, you know, we we know that he also did have a one night stand, but because um, you know, we've tried to find the the woman, but we're not able to. So, you know, that's not isn't publicly known and we're not, you know, it's not gonna release her, her name because um that's you know that's not the way to find out you know I mean I didn't find out in a particularly good um not that there is really a good way but I didn't I you know it was, wasn't a good way to to find out you know that that I'd had a relationship um with an undercover officer like, like so many of these things there's so much um hidden abuse that's happened there's so many people who who've been targeted who don't even who still don't know still don't realize yes yeah there's over we know of over 54 now and that is when you know when you look at the amount of names that we actually know of the officers and the names of the officers we don't know you know if you sort of if you multiply it that's you know there is there's so many more and like potentially to well potentially there's there's other children I think we know you know there's definitely one other child out there um but they will never know. You know, this is the problem with the inquiry is that if you don't if you don't tell some, if you don't tell a group who would the undercover was in that group, if you don't give them their name, how are you ever gonna know what they did? You know, it's I it's it's a fundamental problem with the inquiry and one that is basically gonna scupper the inquiry. Um, you know, it's you can't have any sort of um any kind of 
truth if you if the the truth is hidden from you you're not going to get any answers yeah it's it's ridiculous it was like when they used to um when you couldn't hear jerry adams voice but they'd have someone dubbing you know the exact words in an irish accent over the top you know it's it's just yeah it's it's crazy but yeah surat Saraki, Sarachi. That's S O R A double C H I, I think. Um, <laughs> say as much as possible. Say his name, Carlos Sarachi. Um, boredom. He sort of complains about um, having to st- sit outside police stations for hours and ends, showing sort of solidarity with your with your comrades. Obviously, uh, yeah, solidarity being a totally, totally alien concept to. Um, the undercovers. Yeah, I mean that was, you know, presumably because the others had spent, you know, were spending twelve hours inside the police station. Um, you know, <laughs> that was. Yeah, they were they were warm inside, having cups of tea, and they're stuck outside with the with the um, yeah. dirty anarchists. Well, he does he does say that he he quite enjoyed his arrest. Um, so not that anyone can remember his, you know, him being arrested, but he actually says it in there that, you know, he he quite enjoyed his his arrest. Um, but one of the things that interestingly he does complain about is the um, is his um, what's the word his his low opinion of uniformed officers and the way that they treated people, particularly animal rights. Is that paragraph sort of stands alone to some extent, doesn't it? In contrast with the the rest of how he talks about protesters, that he he seems to have some kind of very brief, um, I don't know, moment of clarity, shall we say? He went rogue. He went rogue for a moment. Do you think that was that particular paragraph was written by Coles, or because this is the second edition, isn't it? Uh, so we we, yes. we we're kind of assuming because there's, there's no these little sort of almost like post-it notes on the manual and they're initialed BL who we presume is Bob Lambert so we wondered if like the original I mean we don't know it's possible that he actually wrote the 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 first version um but so obviously and he infiltrated to some extent you know animal animal rights orientated groups didn't he but I, I, did he actually infiltrate yeah. animal rights ones themselves? He... Bob Lambert. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. So, so I mean, and I mean, yeah. just out of interest, did you, in terms of the language used in in the manual, we're talking about authorship, but maybe it's a bit of a trivial point. But I mean, does it sound like the Andy, the undercover officer that you knew at all in in, in any way? Um, yes, yeah, it, it does. I think in the sort of, um, I mean, one of the things I would say about him is he was, you know, there was an arrogance there that, you know, not all not all of the time, you know, he was a lot quieter around um, if there was men around and men in the group. But when it was sort of women, he would he would say a lot more. And also he was, you know, there was a bit of arrogance and a bit of condescension there. So yes, I can, I can, I could fit all of this into what I know of him. I mean, it's it, so. I mean, particularly that. I mean, like that particular paragraph specifically, the one about um, when, when you know how his view of of, uh, of uniform police when it came to to policing, you know, hunts and so forth. Like, it, it's a real like. 
are we the baddies moment, isn't it? You know, it's like a, a, like a moment of, of self-awareness, which like just doesn't fit in with the rest of the document at all to my way of reading it. Yeah. And there's also like a part in it where he says, you know, he says he'll, he'll never, you know, in the future, he's never going to look um, like kindly on fox hunters, you know, particularly terrier men. So, I mean, when he was deployed, I mean, I guess he claimed to be vegan then. But in terms of the character he portrayed, what was he like? Yeah, when I when I knew him, he was um, apparently vegan. So, yes, that's that's um, that is obviously a, a must for any of the animal rights groups. Like his character was as much as I can sort of as much as I like remember is like he was he was just a, a bit of a wallflower you know he was someone that was always in the background that didn't sort of um you know when there was big meetings or anything you know I don't he didn't contribute to them um but he was it was slightly different when it was a smaller group of people but he was you know there was there was nothing he wasn't one to sort of you know to come out in a in a meeting with you know sort of ideas or you know he was he was very sort of he kept his head down I suppose until you were in like a smaller group I think he was um that's what he was like but yeah I don't you know certainly I mean I remember him on the um chicken on the battery raid but you know sort of otherwise and stuff I mean he didn't you know I don't remember him sort of getting into any scrapes or anything whilst we were out hunt saboteuring um so you know it's it's very difficult because he was he sort of he blended in so much you know and that's not because he you know because of his you know his his the way he infiltrated it was just the fact that there was you know there wasn't much about him yeah right i mean i guess it's he's obviously portraying some sort of character as he writes this tradecraft manual i just wonder what his character was like with that but i mean with with the manual i mean there's so much redacted it's hard to tell isn't it i'd love to know what some of those redactions are like particularly in the groups, you know, what groups, when I mean, you've got your Irish groups and then you've got uh, redactions underneath. Actual liaisons section of the Tradecraft Manual. Like, it's another example of, like, how Coles's like, writing style is really... You know, this, this first paragraph, I just, I'll just like quote it and maybe you, you can tell us what you think of it. The thorny issue of romantic entanglements during a tour is the cause of much soul searching and concern. In the past, emotional ties to the opposition have happened and caused all sorts of difficulties, including divorce, deception and disciplinary charges. While it is not my place to moralise, one should try to avoid the opposite sex for as long as possible. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, reading that, it wasn't it it wasn't like they said, you know, against the rules. It basically is left to it's left to them to think whether or not it's it's a uh, um, right or wrong. It's very nudge nudge wink wink, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. You can. Yeah. I can. You can see him sort of doing doing that. I mean, romantic entanglements. You know, lots of soul searching and concern. You know, and the alliteration. You know, it's it's kind of it's it's done on purpose. It's all you know, lots of D's and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, ironically, the word deception. You know, which is the word that you know that we've used and. 
you know, they don't, the, the deception, I don't know who they think that, what the deception is, what, on the part of all their wives that they're cheating on, or the women, or or their superior officers, you know, it's it's not quite um it's not quite clear but yeah it's it just shows you know when where he says it calls himself you know claims that he didn't have a, a relationship when he was undercover and you know but it's not his place to to moralize you know well obviously not an issue you know you would have thought if that had that been the case that he would have said you know they would have said that there's you know you are specifically not allowed to but you know, no, it was. It's obviously. I mean, if this is their actual manual, I mean, who was signed off on it? You know, someone. It's got to have been signed off by senior officers. And you know, if that is the advice, is like basically, you know, it's you know, search your soul and and you know, see what answer you come up with, because they're not gonna. You know, it's no one else's place to moralise. Yeah. So there's another bit, sort of further further on, where he said, um, you know, if. Uh, so these options are fraught with difficulty and must make up your own mind about how to proceed. If you have no other option but to become involved with a weary, you should try and have fleeting, disastrous relationships with individuals who are not important to your sources of information. You know, I mean, I won't say our relationship wasn't fleeting. You know, it was a um, sort of, you know, a year. Um, but disastrous, you know, yeah, I, I'll agree. I'll agree with that, you know, but the point of like the individuals who are not important to your sources of information, um, you know, so again, not, not really going to help you at all. So that's, you know, that's saying that obviously to use these, these relationships, it was clearly a tactic, um, but you know, not important to your sources of information. So completely unnecessary. The, the dehumanizing as so well just you know find somebody not important to use you know don't don't use anybody too important because it might backfire it might be difficult the, a lot of the women were central to the groups they were part of there's no two ways about it they absolutely were you know yes yeah so you know that's another another sort of issue as well and it's you know and we know so we've seen that sort of you know particularly i mean even like jim boiling when he describes his, um, you know, his relations, one of his relationships, and he says, you know, she, oh, she was just a waitress, you know, not, she wasn't sort of actually, you know, an activist, which is complete rubbish, you know, she was centrally one of the, you know, the, the activists that he was spying on, um, you know, but the interesting thing, you know, that I think out of this is, you know, if you have no other option, you know, I've, you know, again, sort of, you know, not had many relationships myself, but, you know, trying to put myself in a position where I've had no other option but to have a relationship, you know, it's like, don't, never really been a situation where someone's holding a gun to your head, um, you know, it's, you know, I can't, I can't see what the no other, having no other option, you know, there is always another option, you know, but yeah, I just, I just, I, I don't understand sort of the um, the mentality in this, you know, nor how they can say that it was, you know, it was never authorised or it was never, you know, it was never um, encouraged or, you know, it was never, it was never expressly said, you know, that you can't, you know, basically it just seems to be up to the, you know, up to the officer um, involved. Yeah, I mean, in terms of like, he would have seen this, this manual so let's let's well we as far as we know well we we don't know if this went out of the sds but if it even if it just stayed within the sds that means that the the head of the unit who was of chief inspector rank would have 
been would have known about it. Just the existence of of the manual itself proves that, that we that that the head of the unit did know this was going on. Uh, and we obviously we have strong suspicions that it was it was known way you know, further up the chain of command as well. But um, just yeah, just in the context of the manual, it establishes that that anyway. Yeah, well, there's and obviously, I mean, where he says that it's you know it's led to um, disciplinary disciplinary procedures, you know, and divorce. So it's you know it's obviously is a problem, but the fact that they're still not saying they're still not being told, you know, that this is not you know there is no authorization and it's actually you know you're not to do it. It's still so obviously given the green light. Yeah, the, the divorce. Um, it might. I, I don't know if it. That might have happened more than once, but I, we know that um, an officer who used the cover name Jim Pickford, he, we know that he divorced his wife and then uh, went off with a, a woman that he met, met. We don't know who this woman was or even what group she was in, but certainly he, they, they split up after his deployment and then he, he married her, the woman he met on deployment. Mm. So it might actually refer to him. So look out for an episode on Jim Pickford coming soon. And also we'll hear about, although Jim Pickford's actually dead, the officer, who, we will hear more about his deployment in the, in the April and May evidential hearings. A particular picture of activist life, which I think, you know, it bears a lot of similarities with like a tabloid idea of what like kind of you know dirty crusty like crusties are like in their squats with their their bearded mugs and whatever and it but like it really doesn't bear relation to my experience um you know as we said that you know I, like mugs with no handles that that's definitely been a problem i mean you know like i've i've come across that problem a lot but Mugs with beards was never, a th- I've never ever seen that. You know what I mean? It, it's full of like this sort of like caricature, this cartoon version of, of activist life. Yeah, yeah, I want to say it's, it's kind of like a collection of anecdotes presented as a, a manual, like a an informative. Um... No, I mean, the, the fact that it says manual on the front is the main reason we refer to it as we that's the, that's the only reason we're referring to it as a manual. There's nothing. Like there's nothing in the middle. I mean, like everything is about the you know kind of getting involved in the groups, the kind of groups, um, how to stop being detected, how not to get detected, and how to leave. Yeah, if if you compare it to a car manual, it tells you how to get into the car, how to get out of the car, but it doesn't really tell you how to drive it, so right. to speak. You know, or why or where are you going in the car? <laughs> yeah, well, what what do you want the car for? It's a bit of a t- tortured analogy that here now we're getting into. <laughs> Maybe we should drop that. But um. but no, but but it, you know, in all seriousness, the um, it's not. It isn't a trade. It, like it, it, it doesn't give us any insight whatsoever into the kind of information they were trying to gather. You know what what that information was for. What their short term, medium term, long term goals of a deployment was. You know why these groups were. You know in like kind of under the under their attention. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't cover any of that. No, and I, I, you know, I think that because the the content isn't isn't there. You know, you can't. I mean, a lot of the where he says we talks about boredom, and that, and it's, you know, that is the that's the whole thing. It's like we, you know, we had other lives, 
we did, you know, we did or didn't do other things. And it was like, you know, the one, the one or two days a week where we were actually sort of, you know, at demos or sabbing or something, you know, it doesn't, it didn't justify, you know, his entire week of, you know, of sort of <laughs> most of the time probably waiting around for us, you know, it was, and it wasn't like he was sort of following, you know, like a, a crack team of commandos or something, you know, so we, we would miss, we would be late and we would miss the, you know, the, um, the transport and we wouldn't always know where we were going. You know, it was, it was a bit sort of, you know, we were a bit hit and miss a lot, you know, a lot of the time, but you would think, you know, sort of given the, the amount of spying they did on our groups that, you know, you would, you would think we were sort of, you know, a lot better organized than I think perhaps we actually were. Um, but yeah, and what they got from it, you know, I mean, the fact that they were there, they enabled us to break the law and, you know, what, what really did they, they get from it? You know, far more things, far more, um, you know, illegal things were probably done with their help and, you know, or far more demonstrations were, um, you know, were able to take place because of their, their help and organizing, you know, I mean, part of you sort of thinks you know well thank you very much for you know for that sort of part of it you know you made our you made our lives easier by giving us you know uh, like the the vans and stuff to get there um but yeah I don't you know even in our group and it is sort of you know I mean like the groups that he says that he infiltrated that you know like that animal liberation front and all that and you know that was it just wasn't it wasn't what it was made out to be it, it really wasn't you know I can't see any sort of I can't see any like real justification in what in what they did certainly when we look at the the, the last section of it where they talk about um you know aftercare and like kind of re, re you know like kind of readjusting back to their, their normal sort of role and it's like oh god you've got to get up in the morning and you put all this weight on and you haven't got as much free money anymore God, it's shit. Oh, yeah, it's hard work, isn't it? Like, not being uh, an undercover anymore. And, like, you just get this idea that it's just, like, this incredibly cushy gig that we're in, you know, which they tried to make out was incredibly dangerous. And, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah one, one of the phrases they use when they talk about um, being, uh, maybe being spotted, the danger of being spotted, um, doing it, doing something else in the, your target area, they refer to it as a bandit country. Mm -hmm. Which just seems ridiculous because I don't know if you're aware, but Bandit Country was what the, the British Army used to refer to as South Armagh in, in Northern Ireland. So the idea that they're comparing, I don't know, um, tootling around Wandsworth to be, be, being like a soldier, in, you know, in Northern Ireland, mm. um, you know. Yeah, I mean, particularly because, you know, like Andy says, when he's ex when he's like telling people in the tradecraft manual you know sort of how to like change their appearance and like basically for men it's you grow your hair long you know and have a beard and then so when you leave your deployment and you cut your hair and shave your beard you know the the um the chance of you being recognized is almost nil you know which is so why you would worry going to you know so-called bandit country if no one could recognize you because you've had a shave you know, it's it's ridiculous. You know, I mean, he's easily recognisable um, as as you know the person that I knew. I mean, one of the things which um, 
that it says in the manual is that you know once you've once you you've stopped being an undercover cop, you can't be do cloak be a close protection officer for ten years. You can't do anything which would like kind of put you in the public eye. Um, yet when we're talking about the the author of this document, he goes on to very much put himself in the public eye, right? Absolutely, and and the fact that he that he did is you know that's it's completely his own doing. You know he. He obviously told his brother, um, the who we know is uh, Reverend Richard Coles. He told him about his undercover deployment, and so Richard Coles put that in his book, and that was actually how um, he was, how Andy was uncovered, because you know that was seen by somebody and then passed on to the undercover research group, who, you know, sort of looked for looked for a, um, an officer that first name Andy, who was in, you know, sort of in the, roughly the time of his deployment. And, um, yeah, he was identified, you know, sort of Richard Cole's brother was identified and pictures were sent out and everyone sort of, yeah, they knew, you know, we found out who it was. And, you know, I wasn't contacted at that time. You know, it was known who he was for quite a while, Um because they were, everyone was looking for me. You know, it was it was obviously known at the time that he and I were seeing each other, and so that like the word had gone out around all our sort of you know old activist friends, and eventually they were, they were able to track me down, and you know yeah at the time sort of when I found out there was I think I've been I was sent to um, look at a website and as I'm sort of scrolling through and then see a picture of Andy and that's the first you know I hadn't even heard of spy cops at that point and then it's you know I find out that we had undercover cops in our group and then sort of five minutes later um oh yeah there's my ex um so yeah he at the time of his discovery his jobs were um Deputy Police and Crime Commissioner for Peterborough and Cambridgeshire and also um, Conservative Councillor for Fletton and Woodston um, on Peterborough Council. So, yes, he... Sorry, yes, so he had, yeah, he had two positions um, sort of well well in the uh, public eye. So, I mean, it could have been that... You know, if you'd taken a close interest in uh, in Peterborough party politics, even with even without his brother putting it in that book, you know, he he was out there, put you know, very publicly with the, you know, uh, a very public role afterwards anyway, you know, and particularly one as a deputy crime commissioner, you know, Christ. Yeah, yeah, that was you know, and this was these are two positions that he took after the um, the Mark Kennedy story had broken, so it was you know. It was obviously, it was beginning to unravel at that time. And you would have thought that anybody that would have seen, you know, that would have seen what was happening and thinking, you know, okay, they know about the unit now, would have kept their head down. But what does he do? No, he takes two, you know, positions, you know, particularly positions of public trust as well. Um, and, you know, it's it's almost as though he wanted to be outed. You know, that's, that's how it... it it seems um, because, you know, if he hadn't, if his, if his brother hadn't have written that in his book, then the inquiry would not have named him because there's, you know, they've kept other, other officers um, identities, um, you know, restricted, 
because for things like, you know, their sort of their public, their public life. And so he wouldn't, because of his, you know, his roles, they wouldn't, the inquiry wouldn't have named him. So we wouldn't, again, we wouldn't have known, you know, I would certainly wouldn't have known. But, you know, like many of the other other officers who have said, you know, they did, they committed no sort of like misconduct under, you know, during their deployment. And Mitting would have taken that at face value, like he has done so many times. And, you know, we would be, we'd be none the wisest to who he actually was. Yeah, I mean, once I sort of once I found out, the you know there's there's the whole thing about what what do you do next? You know, it's it's like a, a once in a sort of lifetime situation. It's like, well, where do I go? Who do I speak to? So, um, essentially, after contacting the um, the solicitors who were dealing with all this and the inquiry, and then I I gave an interview to Rob Evans from the Guardian, and. Then he sort of, he suggested, you know, would I do like a, you know, would I sort of do a TV interview? And I think at that point I was, you know, and basically I'd like, I'd known about a week and, you know, I just thought this is, you know, considering what he did and, you know, how he abused his, his position of power, you know, there's, that's a real, that's a real worry for me is that, you know, he's still in a position of power. He could do that again. And, you know, so I just, I, I felt I had to do everything, everything that I could. So, you know, to, because I didn't know at the time, it's like, I want everybody to know now, you know, it's like, I can't, I can't deal with any sort of, um, you know, hiding anything. So I just, you know, I went, I started a, um, um, I took the, well, I'm taking the Metropolitan Police to, um, to court and also became a CP in inquiry, and um, yeah, everything that everything that I could. So as much publicity as I could, because you know, which is is something that I, you know, I it's just not me. You know, I had severe social anxiety, and that would never have sort of stood stood in front of a room and spoken to anybody. It would be my worst nightmare. But because he's you know, there is, and that's what keeps me awake at night, you know, is, is, is the thought that he could do this to someone else, you know, to some other vulnerable, you know, vulnerable 19-year-old. That's who, you know, who I was thinking that it would it would be. But, you know, somebody's pointed out, it could be any vulnerable woman. You know, it's it could be anyone. So, you know, yeah, I've, um, yeah, I've done an awful lot of, um, of sort of, of interviews and things. And also um, the Sack Andy Coles campaign, and actually sort of the I think after the interview that I did with Channel 4 when that went out in um on the 12th of May 2017 and on the 15th of May he resigned as Deputy Police and Crime Commissioner and you know so that was that was great and I I have to say naively I thought that he would be you know he wouldn't be a, a councillor much longer but the the bar is considerably lower um, in that respect. Um, there is no bar, and so he's still a Tory councillor, and you know he's actually running again um, for his seat um, in the upcoming local elections. So yes, um, I will be going. I will be going up shortly to um, to deliver leaflets in his ward to it tell people, you know, who, who he is and what he did. Because I think it's, you know, that's a whole, 
one of the things about this whole spy cops thing is that so many people don't know. You know, it has been it has been in the news countless times, but there's so many people haven't have no idea about it. So you know, I just you know it worries me that he's in that position, and so I just I just want. I just want people to know so he doesn't get the opportunity to do it again. So yeah, I've got um I mean currently it's been it's over forty thousand leaflets that we've put through doors in his ward and in Peterborough. And you know, sort of every every council every council meeting there was a demonstration. You know, I I went up and demonstrated with, with others outside um pre COVID because you know people people have to know and you know, he also had a lot of other, a lot of other sort of positions and that. I mean, particularly ones that, um, that I thought were sort of quite concerning were his his governorships of some local schools, and so um, probably I think it's two thousand and eighteen uh, did some some leafleting for one of the schools just to inform them. So did they know who you know that this this person was a school governor and um and consequently he's not now he doesn't appear to be um school governor anymore but yeah he's got he has an awful lot of um of sort of positions around things like sort of family groups and um like young vulnerable adult groups and also he's been um I think one of the last council le- elections he was voted vice chair of the children and education scrutiny committee which, you know, I can't, given my age at the time, and you know, this 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 is this position that he's taken is, you know, it's it deals with sort of vulnerable children, and you know, it's just it's just completely wrong. You know, there are so many red flags there um, that you know, yeah, I just have to keep going, and you know, so there's there will be there will be some more leafleting, um, and also on social media there is. Um, Sort of Twitter is um, well. They follow you. I think you follow the Sack Andy Coles campaign on Twitter, and um, yes. So I just think you know as many people need to know so that he's not put, he's not able to be in that position of you know of power over someone again. So if there is anybody listening to this in Peterborough or surrounding area who'd like to get involved in stopping Andy Cole being a Tory councillor on the local council. Um, they should contact the Sack Andy Coles campaign? Yeah, and, you know, I'm sort of, um, you know, I'm also on Twitter and, you know, Police Spies Out of Lives and Cops Campaign. You know, everybody sort of, you know, there's 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 plenty of, of campaigns out there. But, yes, particularly the Sack Andy Coles campaign. No, I was just, it was worth pointing out, I mean, last at the, the last council elections in his ward, which he didn't actually stand in because the way the local local government system works, um, you know, Labour were the biggest party. When he got elected, it wasn't, it's not a particularly big majority he's got. It's, you know, I think it's eminently doable that he, he loses his seat in a couple of weeks, which would be, would, would, would be at the very least he deserves. <laughs> it's, um... Yeah, I mean, I can't believe you know I've I've contacted the the council and you know even went up and saw spoke to the head of the council, and I've made various complaints and you know saying you know he's not he's not suitable. But they've they've said there's nothing that they can do um, about him. They can't apparently get rid of him even if they they wanted to, um, which yeah, I mean that's that just seems that seems ridiculous. Okay, so. Um... 
We're back in the inquiry fairly soon. Are you going to come along at all this time? Um, no, I'm still shielding, but I've got, I mean, thankfully, I've got the um, the fairly the fairly annoying audio feed that, uh, that we're allowed because, yeah, we can't, there's no audio visual streaming because that's, that's clearly not allowed. But, uh, yeah, I will be following as much as, as, much as I can, yes. Uh, if, if anybody wants to contact you, they can find you on Twitter at Jessica Me Too. Um, yeah, just to say, if anybody wants to hear, like, perhaps a more emotional, like, uh, more personal telling of your story, then you, you have given interviews and you can find um, you have plenty of that on the Police Buys Out of Lives website. Yeah. And the, the the Bed of Lives podcast, which I, mean, I think anybody, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't heard the Bed of Lives podcast, you should probably all go away and listen to that first. Uh, there's only six episodes of it, but I mean, it tells your story along with a lot of the other women's. Well, you tell your story, I guess, on it. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't actually listened to it, so um, not to not to my part anyway. But yeah, the rest of it is is brilliant. So yeah, I definitely would say it's just background for you know for all of the uh, the women. Well. For six of us, I have listened to it, and, and, and you, you come across incredibly well on it. Indeed. Yeah. Um, thank you ever so much for joining us today, um, everybody who listened. Um, hopefully, we'll be back again soon. Um, hopefully, Jessica will join us again uh, in the future. Absolutely. I'm maybe talking about Andy Coles, or just maybe talking about uh, you know lots of other things to do with it. Uh, thanks very much. You can find out. Um, I'll have any of the th- links I've talked about will be in the show notes. If you want to know anything more, check out spycops.info. Cheers.